The Ebony's in the Ivory podcast is a bi-weekly dialogue with Dr. Dejalon Jackson-Bell and Dr. Lakeitha Poole. Through the EITI podcast, we plan to promote our mission of dispelling myths, rewriting narratives, and championing women of color in higher education. All views expressed through this podcast are our own, do not represent any entity with which we are affiliated, and is for educational and entertainment purposes only. For more information or to set up a consultation, visit our website at www.ebonysintheivory.com. You are now tuned in to Ebony's in the Ivory. It's come up, I think, already in conversations we've had during presentations that we've done um, for Ebony's in the Ivory, and obviously in our conversations with each other, but also in Dr. Bell's research. Um, And so just being able to talk about mentorship. And what I think often happens when this topic comes up is mentorship kind of excites people and people get really on board and energetic around it and like everybody wants to do it. But I think that there are multiple sides to mentorship that sometimes don't uh, get discussed. And so my hope today is to really talk about kind of the tug of war that happens um, for many of us who end up on 
um, the mentor side of mentorship and sort of fall into this category of obligatory mentorship that doesn't always uh, lend for the best overall mental health and well-being, which for both of us as counselors is critical for you to be successful in your career um, at any level. So I just want to talk a little bit about like that tug of war. And I know my wonderful co-host is going to have some things to say. And so I just want us to get in. We'll just get into it. So let's get into it. So last week's blog, Nobody Wins When the Family Feuds, which obviously is like a 444 reference, but just talking about mentorship, um, obligatory mentorship among communities of color. And when I was thinking about what my blog topic would even be, I think I wanted to be able to discuss something that I had personally experienced. I think that's what we try to do every time we post on the blog, um, just so y'all can know these are like real life experiences. And so one of the things that came up is sort of thinking about like, as many of us attempt to navigate and interact with the world of higher ed, um, there instantly, in most cases, becomes a need for mentorship because of the fact that we are um, minorities in a space that typically, you know, is not designed for us. And so mentorship ends up being a really powerful tool that when it's used properly can help jumpstart careers, ignite passions. I know that like my first job out of our master's program, you know, kind of pushed me into a passion I didn't even know I had because I just thought I was going to be a therapist and not add um, a passion around diversity and inclusion within mental health. And so um, it really just impacts lives. And so I really think that this is even more true for women of color. And so, of course, while I just mentioned all these benefits to mentorship, um, particularly for the people that get mentored, like both of us who have been mentored at some point, and we'll talk about that too a little bit today, there can sometimes be some drawbacks and some pitfalls to mentorship that we don't talk about. And so um, that's why I like this concept of like, there's a tug of war. And when we think about what that is, that's two teams, you know, on a, on each on the side of a rope. And they're like literally fighting against each other. It's a, it's a test of strength and strategy around uh, winning or around making it. And that's kind of the world that we end up in when we go into higher ed is like, how can I make it? How can I, you know, get that promotion? How can I get tenure? How can I get into graduate school? And being able to sort of like pull back the veil, which is always our aim with Ebony's and the Ivory, is really what I want us to kind of get into today. So, Dr. Bell, you and I, we were just talking about not too long ago, like both of us having experiences of being mentored. Um, and I still think I get mentored, even if those people don't consider themselves still my mentors, they are forever. Right. Um, <laughs> um, what do you feel like are, for you, like what have been some of the true benefits of mentorship to the folks that probably mentored you, but then you've also mentored people. Like, what do you feel like are the are the benefits to the mentors? Um, I think first and foremost, there are always altruistic benefits to mentoring. Of course, um, I think when you think about like generativity and like what legacy you're leaving, and you know what you're contributing to this world, I think being able to say, you know, I've you know mentored you know, these students or mentor these professionals, up and coming professionals that have come behind me, um, I think that adds to a lasting legacy. And it's just, it makes you feel good. And it makes you feel as if you reached back and pulled somebody up along with you. And I know we'll talk about 
um, that today. I know um, mentoring sometimes, depending on, you know, what you're going for, it sometimes look good, looks good on your resume um, to show that you're invested in, in the future and um, you serve whatever community or, you know, whatever environment that you're in, like you've been able to serve um, as a mentor and serve as someone who is, um, I guess when you think of future planning and things like that, someone who um, is looking to the future and looking to add um, and augment, you know, someone's life around you. Mm-hmm. Um, benefits of mentorship. Um, let's see, what else can I think of that would be, for me, I would say, um, as a as a therapist, as a counselor, um, just being able to watch someone else mm-hmm. develop, um, I think that's that's the number one um, benefit for me is to be able to watch somebody grow and watch somebody come into their own and watch somebody with maybe some of your help and your assistance or conversations that you've had with that person um, to be able to be fearless and be confident, um, knowing that, you know, I don't know what's exactly what my path is going to look like but Mm -hmm. I do know that um, I have a mentor I have someone who may have even walked that path with me um, and you know is able to help me work through things I think just being able to see somebody um, be able to do that and whether you've had a mentor or not um, just being able to be fulfilled from watching someone else grow professionally and personally academically Mm -hmm. um I think that's a true benefit of mentorship as well. Yeah, I agree with 100% of that. I think those are the reasons why people sort of go above and beyond and do the extra part of it. I think, you know, one of the things I talked about in the blog as well is the fact that mentors don't have to be mentors. It really is because you feel like there is a benefit to being a part of something bigger than yourself that will ultimately maybe even outlast you and outlive you. Um, And so being able to be uh, the person that gets to open that door or pull that seat up to the table for somebody else um, is critical and definitely, you know, shows a level of selflessness that a lot of people aren't willing to do or to show. And so being able to, to do that for others, I think is, you know, one of the, probably the most, you know, selfless things somebody can really, really do, particularly when we start talking about within the world of higher ed and among women of color and whatever profession you might be in, it's just almost necessary for us because sometimes that is our one way to get what we need um, from a professional and personal sometimes support. Like it's just something that we, we need. So I definitely think that there are benefits you know to being the mentor develops that level of selflessness that maybe you wouldn't get otherwise and I definitely have an appreciation for that I also think in order I feel like you can't reach personal Mm self-actualization without mentoring like Mm -hmm. I don't think that that's possible so when we look at like models of like self-actualization like Gandhi like Mm -hmm. um, Nelson Mandela like Martin Luther King Mm -hmm. um, Mother Teresa um they didn't get to that level of self-actualization without mentoring, without reaching back and saying, hey, let me show you the way. Let me show you how to do things. Let me sow this seed or plant this seed inside of you. They all did that in their own ways. 
um, and contributed to the community that they serve. So I think that um, you definitely, you can't reach self-actualization without mentoring and without giving back. And it's interesting because um, I, in my dissertation, I actually wrote about this. My dissertation was about persistence and resilience um, among African-American males and um, who, who were first-generation students who eventually went on to get um, the doctoral degree. And of my participants, each one of them said that they made sure that once they reached the level or, or were striving to reach the level at which they felt they had you know, reached success, that they made sure that they turned around and reached back um, and mentored African-American um, males themselves or mentored you know, people who look like them in the community to let them know that it, it was possible and to be that model um, for those students and the students, the communities that they serve. So um, I think that, that that is just a, um, a personal benefit to mentoring is that, um, or being a mentor is that, um, you know, you have the opportunity again to to sow a seed and to turn back and, and, and pay, kind of pay what you owe in a sense. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I agree. So. I definitely agree. I think we as a society could not function without mentorship. And that's why it's so critical. And that's why then the folks who decide to take on that role take it so seriously, which I think right. is amazing. Um, and so that brings us to the, the other side that I mentioned in the blog is, you know, some of the pitfalls and the drawbacks to it is you become so invested in it that there maybe aren't clear boundaries there or you become you become the sole person that people go to for mentorship to the point where you reach burnout and so you know oftentimes we're taught and I believe in this that it is our duty to pull up additional seats to the table to make sure that we don't close the door behind us when we get opportunity all of those are true and critical to advancement of women of color in the workplace in general in whatever field or industry but i think the bigger question then comes in if you are that one um you know people will use the term token in your field like in engineering or in medicine Uh or even in our profession, you know, there are more black women, I think, going into mental health, but we are still not the majority in that field. And so how many seats at the table are we expected to pull up, particularly when I think of, you know, people like us. So we are, um, you know, we're in our 30s now and like we have still long <laughs> careers ahead of us. Right. Um, and we've already in this time leading up to this point have been a part of helping a lot of people i know you probably get tired of me sending you emails connecting you with people who are you in another state and i'm like okay this is dr bell like meet this person um because you all have similar either research interests or clinical interests and i know that it is important for people to have mentors especially if it's somebody who has an expertise that i don't have then i'm going to connect you with the person who does well you can only handle so many people like that in addition to your full-time job you're married like all these different things and same thing like for me like being able to realize that we have obligations that allow us to occupy the spaces that we do in our field that give people access to us but then if we're the only ones reaching out or or reaching back i guess to people who reach out to us 
then at some point we reach a capacity in, in some form, whether that's mentally and emotionally, or we literally on our calendar, there is no more room. And so, right. um, so you, what do you think about that? Like not, not necessarily saying that there's a limit to how many seats, but about setting those boundaries in place and what that looks like. That is a very tricky, uh, question. Cause like you said, I've always, um, I guess my mindset and my ideology about it is is that my life is not my own in a sense, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and that it's 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 my obligation and my pleasure um, to help. And that's just the way that I was raised. Like even it just makes me think about randomly learning about like African American history. And we learn about you know Booker T. Washington and his mm-hmm. school of thought versus W. E. B. On his, mm-hmm. you know, train of thought, and that you know, there's this talented tenth, you know, because at that time, you know, it wasn't a lot of opportunities for all African Americans to make it. So those talented tenth, the ten percent of the black community that made it, like it's your job to turn around and help others, you know, pull themselves up by their bootstraps. And I'm always, um, I guess when I was growing up, I allowed myself more to do blah. If you if you want to use that juxtaposition, but. Um, I'm definitely like a career and college person too, so I can, I can, I definitely can align myself with Booker T. Washington's ideology too. But mm-hmm. I do believe, in a sense, that once you've made it, it is your responsibility. Yeah. Um, whether you've, you know, reaped those benefits from being in a mentoring relationship, um, or you haven't, so you know that, you know, I didn't have this, so you know, I want to make sure that somebody coming behind me, um, you know, gets what I didn't have. Mm-hmm. But I think you're right like you can get burned out um and depending on the environment or or the community that you serve um burnout can happen really quickly Mm -hmm. um and like you said you know building up to our 30s um we we've done a lot of mentor and i want to i'm not tired like for anybody (laughs) (laughs) i'm not i'm not tired (laughs) i'm not tired yet go ahead i'm not tired um not right now like (laughs) I'm still young, y'all. Yeah, no, we're like, we're no. not saying we're tired, but no, there. No, I, I understand I, what you're saying. Yeah, no, I definitely understand what you're saying about you know <laughs> being you know inundated with you know oh well, I mean because we try to help so much, mm-hmm. um, and I know that we feel like it's our responsibility to do so. Um, so there does as far as you know boundaries and things and kind of the negative aspects of um, mentoring and helping pull up seats. I will pull up as many seats as I can um, in my personal view on it. Um, I think it's tricky, and I don't know if we're going to – I guess we're going to talk about this later. So I'm just going to hold off with that thought. Um, (laughs) But as far as, um, you know, I feel like as a a minority woman, Mm -hmm. as a woman of color, as a black woman, Mm -hmm. uh, I just feel like it's it's always – our job if that makes sense yeah. like it's, it's it's like who like who gonna do it but a black woman like who I else mean, like, will right and that else? yeah like, and that's really like the heart of this conversation and topic in the first place and obviously because you know we're talking about mentorship because Ebony's and Ivory is about to try to help with this obviously but right, like right. but to make sure that we're transparent about both sides of it because right. we've been on both sides of it and we know right. what it feels like um to be exactly what you just said Dr. Bell about you know that person that if you're in that community where you are 
one of few or one of one um and you end up being the go-to person you know i could think of a like ton of people in our experiences at lsu alone who Mm -hmm. you know were everybody's mentor for a multitude of probably different reasons different areas of expertise but this one person because they were black or because they were a woman or because they were a man whatever um Uh put them in that role and like no no um good-hearted person (laughs) is going to be like no i am not you know like and and just let that let that be for somebody who they clearly see you know they they see themselves in and i think that's really the part that that's what happens and that's where those heartstrings get pulled and and tied and connected to being a mentor is you see something in this person that connects to you or reminds you of you that you know somebody did for you and Um, The only way that you even in some ways get to repay that person that mentor you is, yes, by being successful and going into the field, but to get to do that for somebody else. And I think that's the weight that ends up kind of being carried or the the double-edged sword that ends up being what mentorship really ends up, you know, looking like. Yeah, and I think like specifically for communities of color, I think this is a unique conversation Mm -hmm. in that you know, not only are we talking about mentoring, but we're talking about mentoring in, you know, in, in, in a community of color. So it's more intense, if that yeah. makes sense. Yeah. Um, it's more of an obligation. Um, it's more of a, I'm going to say it means more, um, but I don't know. It's just different. It's different dealing with communities of color versus non communities of color because Mm -hmm. there is that sense of you know this is my community like this is like I have a personal obligation Mm -hmm. and I know that goes just with probably anything with communities of color but I have a personal obligation to see my people you know succeed because that's how the world looks at us like we're not separate you know we're one people we get judged so much for being a people mm-hmm. uh, a united race or united ethnicity or whatever that you know whatever you want to call it and whether it's negative or positive mm-hmm. which normally is not positive but right. um, in this sense talking about positivity and mentoring um, I think the deal is you know it like it's, it's a it's a communal it's a collective mm-hmm. um, impact and we know that it's a collective impact um, so I think that's maybe where the tug of war and the struggle comes for with when you commit to be a mentor yeah I agree. Um, for, for people of color yeah I definitely agree and I mean and you hit on it a little bit already in just talking about the kind of boundaries that are already in place and like that you have to have in place but also recognizing that you know the personal side of it makes um, it more of a heartfelt situation where exactly. you are investing yourself into this person um, that you hope will make you proud um, and that in most cases you know will um, at some point point. and so being able to 
as we move into like just thinking about how to support those who serve in a mentor role is at some point you do have to make that decision to not necessarily withdraw from someone's life as a mentor, but letting them being like the mama or papa bird and kicking them out of the nest so that they can take everything you've taught to them and try it out and try to fly. Um, And so it's really important just to be able to figure out when that time is to withdraw and to separate um, from roles and obligations and like just what does that look like? And, you know, we were laughing before we started recording today talking about um, a transition from a role that I ran from like the plague because I needed a separation from... A previous connection to a space to a um a group and just trying to like make sure that one I made room for somebody else to get what they needed because I felt like I had gotten what I needed from that role and it was un it would be unfair in some ways for me to just occupy a space that I didn't want and I think that's what sometimes people do when they mentor as well because it sounds good to be a mentor it's a great Uh thing to be a mentor you look you know good to say I mentor 17 people like it looks good but the work if you are really being a good mentor is a lot of work and so um, work. Yeah, quality like work, work to produce quality. a quality mentee who goes yeah. out into the world to make you proud. And so um, I think that is like the first sort of step is like really recognizing and understanding what those boundaries are of when you need to sort of separate and start to withdraw maybe, you know, the overarching support and just be there as a part of their like um board of directors you know the people who yeah. they consult when they start making decisions around their career and who they go to and you know I can run down a list of women that I don't care what's going on in my life I'm going to always call them to be like this is what they're offering me for this job or right. this is what the title entails but yet it seems like there's some other things that are included. I know for sure the job that I have now, I almost didn't apply for had it not been for a conversation you and I had because I was Uh worried about details that were vague and I started making up stuff. Like I started making up, (laughs) I started making up what I thought they meant instead of you just being like, well, when you get the interview and I'm like, I haven't even applied. And you're like, when you get the interview, then you ask the question. And so I think that says something too about the fact that mentors and mentorships also translate through friendships, you know? So we're the same age, but I definitely value your advice and being able to recognize that there are certain points that for those that maybe are younger or earlier in their careers, I have to be okay being honest and truthful and transparent, but I also have to be okay saying, okay, I've poured like all this stuff into you and now you have to sort through it and take what is relevant right Right. now and use it. Um, Yeah. What do you think about that? Like any thoughts on how to set those boundaries? Do you have to do that? What does that look like? I think that's very interesting to talk about, like you mentioned transitioning. Um, So I personally feel like, you know, a mentoring relationship um, should sort of, it kind of reminds me of therapy in a sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, you know, you start off and you're getting to know your client um, and then you move through the stages um, and then you start weaning your client off and then you start getting ready to terminate. Now, I'm mm-hmm. not saying that you should necessarily terminate a mentoring relationship, but I, I do think that a transition has to happen. And I think it should, you should eventually get to organic 
get to in an organic place where you transition from mentor mentee mm-hmm. to colleague mm-hmm. um, that sort of relationship in that you know I've given you the tools to get and we've had the conversations and yes moving from like you said from a um, a mentor and mentee relationship to a consultation so now we can consult as as peers as colleagues let's yeah. talk about it together yeah. Yeah. Um, I think that's very important um, and then you taking it a step. So now you're, you know, you've been mentored. Go mentor somebody else. Mm-hmm. So, so start that relationship in another space. Um, I think it is important to transition. Um, I feel like you shouldn't be. I guess the intensity and the the need mm-hmm. for mentoring should, I guess, kind of slack off. Uh, you know, as the relationship organically progresses mm-hmm. um and then you, you're reaching that point to where you're a colleague um or a peer or a consultant or what have you um i think that it's difficult too as you spoke about like you know pouring into people and making sure that people have what they need because when you talk about kind of the negative aspects of mentoring is that what do you do when like you've given your mentee this information mm-hmm. um and there or, or or whatever and they're not taking it or they're not performing in a way that you know that they're capable of performing mm-hmm. um so sometimes mentor mentee relationships aren't as positive and it reminds me of a situation that i was in when i was an advisor to a student organization and mm-hmm. you know i was so gun cold because i was in that organization when i was a student so i was like yes we're gonna do this like this organization meant so much to me and mm-hmm. then i get to be the advisor and i'm like oh what are y'all doing you know like <laughs> this is not what i expected you know mm-hmm. this is you know there was definitely a, a age gap age difference in myself and them mm-hmm. um and then a difference in experiences so a different in difference in like cultural shift and what was going on when i was in school versus what's going on when they're in school so it was really difficult um and then just i don't know just some of the behaviors and the actions and you know when when you do that sort of thing you're putting your name and yourself on the line mm-hmm. in a sense mm-hmm. um when you say i'm mentoring i'm advising this person and it's, it's known um you take that upon yourself um, so I like, you know, as you talked about in the blog is that, you know, as a mentor, you need to be committed to your mentee and committed to that relationship. But also as a mentee, you need to be committed to your mentor and to understand, like you said, um, the time, um, what they're investing into you mm-hmm. and that they do expect that a return on investment. Mm-hmm. Um a mentor does expect that yeah. um so just being cognizant of not only hey i'm gonna get 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 from this relationship but what can i as a mentee contribute to my mentor yeah um i think that's very important it's it's, it's dual um it's a dual relationship it's not just a one-sided let somebody just dump all their opinions and um dump you know all of their experiences on me and i just take it take it take it and i don't give right um because right. mentors we you know being a mentor we do want that we do want to feel like you know we're engaging and not just teaching and instructing all the time but that we're engaging um and you you're benefiting us as you're teaching us if you can't teach me anything as a mentor i don't want to mentor you Mm -hmm. because it's just one-sided um so i think being able to say hey those are the things that i want as a mentor those are the things that i require as a mentor from my mentee 
and setting, like you said, those boundaries and separating. And if, you know, the relationship isn't where it needs to be, you know, making sure that that's addressed or, you know, you withdraw and eventually I had to withdraw um, from that advising role Mm -hmm. um, because, you know, it just, it wasn't working out um, for me. So, um, you know. Yeah, you definitely have to know those boundaries and like just being able to know when you've done all you can do um, for the sake of not saying once you've done all you can, just stand. Um, (laughs) 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 Um, But kind of back, back, we could take a lesson from Donnie McClurkin. And like, you know, once you've sort of done everything as a mentor for someone, it is like their role to then pick up that baton or that torch and sort of like carry it and do their part do their thing grow be successful and then pass it on and um just knowing when to do that and the timing for both them but also because we're talking you know really about the mentors like for you is important for your own well-being for your overall health for the significant people in your life who you know sometimes take a back seat to all of the obligations um it just matters so before we close this part i just want to give a few um i guess tips on how you can kind of get the proper tools to be a mentor kind of assess where you are so that you can make sure that it's something you really want to be committed to Um, And so in the blog, and I'm taking this right from there, I referenced um, a 2014 article from Inc. or Incorporated, which offered seven key qualities for an effective uh, mentor. And so those seven traits are ability and willingness to communicate what you know, which I think we talked a lot about today, Um, being prepared. So recognizing like if it's maybe your first time being a mentor, learn about really what mentorship is and you've probably been doing it, but you just maybe have never thought about it in a formal way. So just being prepared to know it's going to come with a little sacrifice on your end, Um, being approachable, available and having the ability to listen. So I think one of the biggest lessons I learned about being particularly um, a mentor or an advisor for students was my um, my approach to things, but also their ability to be able to approach me at any time and know that even if I didn't like the way they handle something, even if I didn't agree with like their um, modality of getting something done, they knew they could come to me and we would sort it out and I would offer my support. They might get a little chastising, but they respected it. And that's what's important about a mentor relationship. It's not always about that, we're going to see eye to eye because I'm your mentor, but it's about being able to have discussions around why you maybe see it that way and me helping you figure out, okay, well, if that's what you think is best, let's talk through how that might go and just being able to give um, that support in that way. Um, Honesty while still being diplomatic. So, you know, being honest without it coming across as just real blunt and and foolish sometimes right, or that you're a know-it-all as a mentor like i've reached this place so you need to listen to what i have to say and i think you can be diplomatic about things and you mm-hmm. may know you know hey this is not probably not a good idea um but you don't want to be the mentor as i told you so i took like issue exactly be, it's a mutual relationship yeah um so yeah Number five is being inquisitive, being able to give yourself, you know, and we kind of talked about this, like being able to make sure that you are learning more about even the group that you are advising. So 
um, Dr. Bell made a good point about advising a group that she was at one point in time when she was an undergrad a part of and yet still had to take sort of a step back to kind of see where they were to understand how different the organization looked then when she was an advisor versus when she was a part of it and being able to kind of be aware of that from the beginning is important so just kind of really being inquisitive about this person or group of people that you want to or or are considering mentoring number six is being objective and being fair so i think that goes back to and kind of connects to the honesty and diplomacy trait or key quality is sort of making sure that you know you act from a place of fairness always but also recognizing it's not your life it's not your organization and those students or that person um has to be able to feel that yes you're there as a support but that you're gonna be fair in your feedback and that you're gonna allow them to function from a place of you being objective and letting them you know do what they do what they said they wanted to do by utilizing you as a support and then the last one um is being compassionate and genuine so just like for us in therapy our clients when you are not coming from a place of genuineness and having sort of that unconditional positive regard people see right through you so mentees are no different they may be totally enamored by you because of the image that they see they see you maybe on campus giving talks or they look at your social media and they see that you're like going all these places to present and they Uh you know really become enthralled with like the image of you but you really have to be a compassionate and genuine person for somebody to really connect with you and I think that is one of the things that does make mentoring worth it is when students come back or people come back and say you know of all the things that you gave me you know your compassion allowed me to be able to always and forever have a respect for you that nobody can kind of take away you know and being able to know that you were always genuine with us um as yourself because i do think that's important to not sell people uh, you, They should be able to know that this is what you see is what you get. And this is going to either help you because this is who I am. And this is who you, you know, say that you want to mentor you. Or if it's not a good fit, that's okay. Just like with a therapist, sometimes it's not a good fit. And you find the person that you really need to be connected to in order to get to where you're trying to go. I agree with that, especially um, just being authentic in, mm-hmm. in regards to being compassionate and genuine and if you don't have those traits, or um, it's going to be very difficult to build rapport in that mentor-mentee relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, you're not going to get very far if you're not seen as authentic or compassionate um, or genuine in that relationship. So um, that's definitely, definitely key because um, you won't even, I think that should be number one. Yeah. Um, you're not going to get <laughs> through one through seven if you don't have that. Um, and I like especially the preparedness mm-hmm. so being intentional about the role you're not just hey you know you know i think at, at some points it can be casual as far as um you know what's going on for the week or um but also being intentional about um providing opportunities for your mentee to be challenged as a mentor mm-hmm. um and to, and to kind of help them develop um i guess a you know, whatever, whatever y'all, whatever mentor relationship it is, is to kind of challenge and develop a certain train of thought, um, 
you know, through, you know, you proposing different situations or proposing whatever um, to make sure that your mentor is, is challenged and that you're mentoring them on the level in which they seek mentoring from you. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So hopefully those are tips for those of you out there who have always wanted to be a mentor and you just now have a little bit more insight on what it really takes and what it really means but also how to take care of yourself in the midst of giving of yourself and so just understand that you know there's a mutual obligation to both the person that is being mentored but also to you um, yourself as the mentor to take care of yourself and to be Um, a good example for that person that you're mentoring of of making sure that boundaries and all those things that we mentioned and those tips that were given um, are in place and then you know really just make sure you know where you need to go to get adequate support so um, it's a great thing to pour out of yourself but also Uh know where you need to go to be replenished and maybe that's the mentor's mentor or maybe that's you know taking a break knowing that like if you particularly those of us are in higher ed we kind of function in every other way around um like the school year so in the summertime maybe your groups don't meet with you maybe you take the summer to yourself or figuring right. out you know if you are somebody that does mentor year round when it's the, when the holidays are approaching you go into hibernation and they can't talk to you till after January 2nd or something like just being able to make sure that you know you're really prepared for the journey and kind of know what you need in order to be the best possible mentor that you can be so that this tug of war that we talked about doesn't have to exist and um, mentorship can be something that's enjoyable for everybody involved so yes ma'am that brings us to the end of our topic for today and so right here we'll take a quick break and we'll be back with our signature segments We are back with the second half of the show, which are our signature segments. And uh, we want to kick off with our culture corner, which is um, just our way to kind of highlight what's going on in the world of higher ed, but also in relation to pop culture or just society at large. And so um, one thing that we know uh, without a doubt is that these are treacherous times, Dr. Bell. <laughs> and, and that means that some of the things that probably we never even thought we would see, we're seeing. And so particularly when it comes to higher ed, something that I think became sort of a hot topic more so about two weeks ago, but in recent weeks has just been in the headlines even more, is the Justice Department's recent decision to rescind Obama-era guidance documents on affirmative action, which, well, let's, we'll just talk about it. I'm not even going to talk about my personal feelings yet. Um, but one of the things that um, stood out to me, I was reading an article in the Journal of Blacks and Higher Ed, talked about our um, Attorney General Jeff Sessions, who was appointed... <laughs> who was appointed by our current president... 
um, call for those particular documents on affirmative action and race sensitive admissions. Um, he called them unnecessary and outdated and basically that they were inconsistent with existing law and basically improper. And of course, my initial thought is where is segregation and racism ever proper? But okay, because that's really what the need for affirmative action came out of. But that's fine, you know, whatever. And then on the other side of it, the article also talked about how colleges and universities, you know, will still be free to consider race in their admission decision, but the current president's administration will uh, be putting them on notice that they're going to be watched very carefully to make sure that the use of race is narrowly tailored. Um, I'm curious about what that even means. Um, And I think we're always curious about whatever words come out of the current administration's camp because most times they don't really make sense. And so being able to think about this when, you know, we obviously are an initiative dedicated to highlighting higher ed and kind of tearing down boundaries and making room, particularly for women of color, as we encourage many women of color to pursue graduate degrees and just to pursue education in whatever form, this obviously will affect that to an extent. And I have major concerns. I'm very curious to see how things obviously go in the midterm elections. However, we cannot change our attorney general during that election. So, you know, I'm all, I feel all kinds of ways about it because I think some of this is also a dig at our illustrious former president. And it's more personal than anything to sort of dismantle things that he brought to light and made sure were in place to keep America accountable. And so um, I definitely thought that this would be a cool feature for our culture corner. Um, Dr. Bell, you have any thoughts about the Justice Department's recent decision? I'm disgusted. Um, (laughs) Well, that's one way to feel, yes. I'm I'm trying to think of a scholarly way to... (laughs) Um, you know, to express myself, like, come on, y'all, like, 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 come on, like, seriously, like, it just doesn't make any sense. Like, like when when I think about literally the history of higher education, and I think about the moral land grants, the first one and the second one, and I think about the Hatch Act, and I think about the foundations of higher education, and, and it just exhausts me to even try to wrap my mind around why anyone would say that race-sensitive admissions are unnecessary. Mm-hmm. They've always been necessary. And unfortunately, it almost seems like history is repeating itself. I mean, like I'm really, I'm like you said, I'm, I'm at a loss for words to know that African-Americans weren't even allowed to pursue higher education for about 200 years, if I'm not mistaken, Alexander Lucius Twilight was the first African-American man to graduate or to attend a, a higher education institution. I, I want to say it's 1823. Please don't quote me. Look it up because I'm going off the top of the dome. But Harvard was, Harvard is the first higher institution and it was founded in 1636. Mm-hmm. Like, what do you mean? Like, <laughs> how could you? formulate your mouth to even to even to even I don't even know like I I I don't know and I feel like I don't know it's crazy well and I feel like you cannot dismiss race-based 
law and legislation that was put into place to retract and uh, basically fix race-based segregation and exclusion. So by by rolling this back, this is basically saying, let's go back to the old way of things, which I find that to be otherwise improper. And just basically, like we have felt since uh, Inauguration Day, that, you know, this is what this administration's about. This is how you feel about American citizens. It's problematic. I think I didn't pick this as a culture corner for us to find a solution because I don't think that there is that should be said on the show (laughs) vote in 2020 yes yes vote in 2018 and 2018 correct in november in november November, like it has to start even locally so the folks that we have in congress and our senate it's important to be able to hold those at the highest levels of the law accountable. So just for those of you who had no clue about that, um, if so if you're hearing that from us for the first time, you definitely need to dig a little bit into what's happening in higher ed because particularly for those of you who are listening who maybe haven't started college yet or you haven't started your graduate pursuits, this may play a part. And um, you definitely want to be aware of it as you want to be able to hold universities accountable through the admission and application process for yourselves. So, And I'm wondering, like, as far as, like, how far, like, how pervasive is this going to be? Like, how far is it going to penetrate? Like, is it going to, you know, penetrate to funding? Like, what... I think it has the potential to do all of that for, I think it's admissions. I think it's funding. I think, I think there's the potential for them to then start to take away, um, minority scholarships for things. Like what, what we referred to last year. I mean, not last year, look at me, last episode, um, Mm -hmm. about, Mm -hmm. you know, minority based funding and how, um, how helpful it is and how helpful it is Yeah, to level the playing field. Absolutely, to level the playing field. Yeah. And to, I mean, and it's just like, if, you know, admissions at universities um, really buy into this and um, really adjust um, the application and the admission process, then what do we do about, you know, the the diversity gains that we, you know, have experienced? Um, what do we, like, do we stop talking about diversity? Do we stop talking about inclusion do i mean is that just is that not a is that not what we're gonna i don't know i can't wrap my mind around it. <laughs> um like i i, I know it's crazy it's, it's crazy it, 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 on a societal level it's 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 ridiculous um i, I don't i don't it's otherwise know. improper like our attorney general says like it is it's, improper it's absolutely improper. I just, I don't understand what kind of world these people live in. Like, I don't know. I don't understand what these people do all day. Yeah. Like, I, I really don't. I yeah. don't. I don't think we're going to be able to figure it out. But I do hope that this, if nothing else, maybe lights a fire under all of our ebonies everywhere who are thinking about, you know, their um, educational pursuits. And even those of us who work in higher ed, you know, what is our role also in the process because it's necessary 
and we need to occupy spaces where we can say, no, actually, we're not yeah. Um, yeah. going to yeah. um, adjust our mission process and then be able to, like, have that authority to say, no, actually, this runs through me, so no. Right. Um, and, and, again, as we always say, representation is important. Um, and we shall overcome. Yeah. So, uh, so, yeah. so that's Culture Corner for this week. So again, look it up. Let us know what you think. Comments, whether it's on social media or on the website. Let us know your thoughts on this recent decision by the Justice Department. So our last, and I think always our favorite segment of the show is our Ebony's in the Spotlight and this week I feel like I am I'm probably too hype about this I don't know why but I'm I'm super hype we got lots of LSU love this week which you know we're we're both a little biased Uh, Dr. (laughs) Bell's a four time alum Um, I'm just one but you know I'm in there and so being able to highlight these two beautiful ebonies and ivories is super exciting. So first up, and Dr. Bell has a special connection that I think she's going to share too with us about this person. But our first ebony's in the spotlight is Miss Savitra Wilson, um, who is an LSU alum. Um, and she is a New Orleans-based female tech founder who is the first to raise $2 million, y'all. $2 million. And start up capital in NOLA, my beloved hometown. And I'm so excited to see her as a young woman who is so intelligent, so kind, so down to earth to win in this way and to be publicly acknowledged by so many critical and big platforms for black entrepreneurs and so we are so happy for you Savitra and just excited for you and so I know Dr. Bell is like bursting at the seams because <laughs> she actually their relationship fits with what we talked about today so Dr. Bell yes so Savitra or Vidi as we call her um was my mentor in undergrad so um at LSU there is a mentoring initiative um, called Genesis Mentor, and I know Dr. Poole, you, um, you have a lot of experience with Genesis Mentoring yes. as um, the former assistant director mm-hmm. um, of the African American Cultural Center. But um, Vidi was my Genesis Mentor um, in, back when I was a freshman, um, and we used to have these little meetups that you know that was back when LSU had a bowling alley. Like that's how long ago that was, y'all. Because <laughs> we don't have a bowl. we haven't had a bowling alley. God knows how long. Yeah, that definitely um, wasn't there when I came for grad school. No, it was a long time ago. I think <laughs> they redid this in construction or whatever, like after the second year that I got there. Um, but BD like always showed up. Like she always had like she always had a word for me. Like she would challenge me and ask me and be those seven things that um seven I guess qualities of a good mentor that we just discussed. Um, she definitely made sure that she you know, if she wasn't I may have been like one year or two years ahead of me but still like even just being savvy like back then like she was so savvy but I don't know like she she was just she was a great mentor and let me tell y'all something this is how I knew Beauty was real because one day she couldn't make one of our meetups so she sent her best friend Zatorio James which ended up being my Dean of Pledges uh, for my sorority so 
I mean, I knew I, that was a Delta by then, so I wanted to be a Delta, of course. And I don't know if you knew, she probably did, um, but she sent Zai in her place. So I had the opportunity to, like, talk to Zai, meet mm-hmm. Zai, you know, just kind of, you know, put my little foot in the door just a little bit, um, <laughs> you know, from a from a Delta standpoint. So um, I appreciate Beauty for even just doing that. Um, she probably didn't know, but... If she didn't like she she definitely helped me like develop yeah. a relationship that i still have with Zatoria. so um bd is a real one um yes. so proud we're so excited so like happy. i literally every time i so have seen excited. her face pop up on all these different sites and blogs that i follow which is crazy because i already follow her um but right. it's just amazing just to see how excited the community is for her and then for this to be someone who is you know louisiana grown lsu alum and definitely one of um the kindest people that i've been able to encounter even in my time i didn't get to experience her as a student but once i was a graduate student and an employee at lsu you know she loved lsu and anything that we asked of her whether it was to come and give an alumni perspective, you know, to potential donors, anything like that. And this is well before she saw the immense amount of success that she has now. She was always willing. It was always a yes. And, you know, I'm just excited for her. And obviously, it was a logical choice to choose her as one of our Ebony's in the spotlight because she is definitely an Ebony doing her thing. Yeah, like since day one, though. Like, yeah. if, you, like if you knew Beatty, like, before... Like all of this, and like this is her, this is her second company, y'all. So this is not the first company in which she's raised over a million dollars in capital. This is the second. So girlfriend is bad. Like she is a boss, but like amongst all of that, like she's still, like you said, ever so kind and still humble. But like she is a boss. Yeah. And I'm happy to know you and call you my mentor, BD. So shout out to you. Um, shout out to LSU. Yeah. for birthing all these these boss women right um, and we're not done yet we got one we're more not done yet. one more uh, lovely lady tiger um, Dr. Monique Kane who I think we've mentioned on the show before just when we mm-hmm. were dropping names about women in the ivory tower who helped to pave the way and who have definitely been support system of ours and for me Dr. Kane is like a big sister and I love that she is somebody who, you know, whatever she does invest herself into, she's all in. So even if that's you as a person. And so, again, I, I think that's why both of these are great fits, because they definitely serve in that mentor role. And like Dr. Bell said, meet that standard of those key qualities to know all of what it really means to be a mentor and not just kind of half do it. And um, we want to celebrate Dr. Monique Kane because she is the newly appointed president of the LSU Black Faculty and Staff Caucus, which is a major force, I think, to be reckoned with on campus, especially in the last several years. It's definitely, you know, just grown so much and become a place of support, particularly as we think about through this medium of Ebony's and Ivory of Ways. And we've talked about this on the show, like find your support system, find your place that allows you to exist in a space that might not be built for you. And the Black Faculty and Staff Caucus definitely does that. And I know with her at the helm as president for the next two years that she is going to do an amazing job. She's going to be so embarrassed when she listens to this, but she should not be. She's going to be so 
she actually might be mad with me after for putting her out there like that but I mean she also too super bad like has been at LSU for over 15 years um she is a IT whiz she is a res life whiz she is a researcher um, and now she is Madam President. So we are so excited for you too, Dr. Kane, and can't wait to see everything that you do um, to improve the LSU community as a whole. Um, and I can't wait to turn up at the caucus gala. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, I want to say also, um, just for both of these extraordinary women is a different component or an additional component when it comes to mentoring in you know minority communities is that there's this component of modeling Mm -hmm. so even if you know you're not directly engaged in the mentee mentoring relationship even modeling so like for beauty like i know people would see all that she's accomplished and see you know how savvy she is and you know see how she you know carries herself in that hey you know somebody from him in louisiana you know she can do it i can do it or Mm -hmm, you know mm -hmm. we went to the same school or we have the same degree or you know i know some people that she knows or whomever just to be that model same thing with monique um i think monique had her phd when i was in grad school if i want to say or Mm -hmm. or right when before i even got to the doctoral program and just seeing like a beautiful black woman like already navigating those spaces and like already you know like you said being a boss in in rest life or being a boss you know doing you know it just to say hey somebody like i see somebody who looks like me and that definitely like research so shows that in minority communities um that helps to build self-efficacy to say hey you know i see somebody if they can do it you know i I know i can do it yeah um so even just like just being a positive model or a role model um, for communities of color, specifically for women of color, um, just living your life, like just being the boss that God created you to be, yeah. um, definitely even has an effect on um, those who come behind you. And I think both of these women um, this week have definitely done that and have definitely impacted um, lives in more ways than they probably could ever imagine. So yeah. again, shout out to you ladies. Um, we are honored yes. to be able to spotlight and acknowledge the work that you all have done um, in your communities. Yes. Thank you guys so much for everything that you have done. And we know this is only still the beginning for both of you. And so you definitely have both of us in your corner and the entire Ebony's and the Ivory community rooting for you. And we know you're going to make us proud. So yes. shout out again to our Ebony's in the spotlight. So we have reached the end of another show, Dr. Bell. Episode oh, four is down. It's crazy. You went by so quickly. I know. Y'all are probably like in your cars waiting to get out and we've been talking for an hour. So, <laughs> uh, so we just want to say thank you as always for tuning in. Um, we definitely see you all. We see our community growing. We hope that you recognize that everything that we do is for you all. Um, we do this so that you all have a space to be able to call your own as women of color um, in the ivory tower, but also breaking the barriers within it. And so we just thank you guys for always tuning in 
every week, make sure you check out on every Tuesday, whatever we're featuring for our EITI Tuesdays. And we'll have a new blog out every other week. We have a a podcast out every other week. So there's always new content, always fresh content. We are obviously still going to work on our mentor program because that's the thing you all have asked for most and now that we've talked about it from kind of two perspectives we can really get to work at it and so we want your input and we're gonna let you guys know when the launch will be for that but we're super excited about it um and like dr bell said at the start of the show make sure if you haven't already but because you're listening you probably have but tell a friend to like follow and subscribe to all of our social media platforms and ways to communicate with us make sure that if you have somebody that you would like to feature for the ebony's and the ivory spotlight please send them into us you can do that through the website or you can email us directly at ebony's and the ivory at gmail.com and we will be back in two weeks see y'all later bye bye